0: that, but I felt drawn this morning to begin by talking about disgrace, and I don't know that we often connect those two, two words, but I mean, disgrace, grace is right in that word, but disgrace, how many of you have ever felt disgraced? I'm confident that we all have, and maybe you may have felt disgraced if you were about raising your hand. But I want to put us all on common ground, is that we've all uh, said or done or failed to do things that have brought disgrace on us. It could be actually something that somebody has done to us that we didn't do anything to prompt it, uh, but there was just cruelty that came toward us and it created this uh, terrible feeling inside. Uh, There's emotions, there's thoughts, there's impact on our lives when we are disgraced. And again, it can be something that uh, that somebody does to us. It could be something that we have done ourselves. But the outcome is often shame, embarrassment, guilt, pain, humiliation, fear. I mean, these are things that come with disgrace. And I was just thinking about when we're in teachers' meeting, when we present something, what often comes back is like, okay, that, that's a good point. How are you going to illustrate it? And, you know, our personal examples are often... Um, really good ways to present a truth. And, and I thought about disgrace that I've experienced in my life. And I went to one specific thing where there was a message that was sent to me that was a scathing attack on me as a person. It came against me, who I was, how I was fulfilling my calling. And there was just incredible disgrace that, that, that came with that message They were simply words in a text, but yet the piercing impact on my life. So then I was left to deal with, uh, what do I do with this disgrace? You know, and... uh, so appreciate that I've been trained, I've been uh, discipled to, first of all, bring accusations and, and, and criticisms before the Lord. And that's what I did. I said, God, you know, what do you want me to do with this? And it's like, if there's truth in it, please reveal it to me. And a guy gave me a piece that, that these were words of attack and of anger, but they were not, there was not truth. But I still needed to do, deal with the disgrace. I still needed to work through, like, how do I handle those words that cause such pain? So that was something done to me. But then I began to think, and there are countless things that I've done, and I'm not going to give you examples. I'll let you just think through in your own mind uh, things that I've done, whether seen by others or known only to myself, uh, things that I failed to do. Again, whether others were aware or not, but I was aware, and I brought disgrace on myself. And with that came the same thing, the pain, the humiliation, the fear, the guilt, all these things with disgrace. So why do I start out with that? Because that is like such a bummer start, isn't it? Because there's an answer to disgrace, and it is the grace of God. Because there is hope, in fact, God can take disgrace and bring this revelation of grace to us that that we we will look back with thanks. Maybe in the moment we don't appreciate the disgrace, but if we will allow God to take that and use it, there's this incredible beauty that can come out of it, and that's my desire that today all of us, every single one of us would embrace the beauty of grace. That we, would, that we would find afresh how God sees us, what he does toward us. And allow that to bring healing, to bring hope, to bring transformation. And, you know, whether uh, you're new to hearing about this grace, maybe this is the first time you've heard about the grace of God. Maybe it's been a lifetime that you've been aware and maybe even embraced the grace of God. I want, you, I want to tell you that there is more for you this morning. There's more for me. And I've just, uh, I've been blessed as I've prepared, so uh, I just want, I'm praying that God's gonna, uh, gonna allow a blessing to come to you as we look at the word. I'm gonna pray over us right now. And even as I pray, um, there may be something that God is leading you toward. Uh, as I talked about disgrace, that God wants you just in this prayer to begin to say, God, help me with this. Deal with this. Give me victory. Give me revelation. Give me hope. God, thank you. God, for your grace, God, we thank you that, uh, that you are all-powerful, you're almighty, you're all-knowing, and you are love. We pray for greater measure of you to be revealed to us. God, we thank you that you are here among us, your word promises that as we gather in your name that you're in our midst. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to open our minds, open our hearts, that you would be within us together. Uh, God, you know what we, each one of us are dealing with, the thoughts, the emotions, or, uh, or what, what may be happening inside of us. And we pray that your grace would overwhelm us this morning. God, awaken us afresh. God, take us to deeper depths. Lord, give us a broader breaths of your grace. And God, we thank you that you're able to do that. And we love you, we praise you, we worship you, and we, just, we bring ourselves in open posture before you. Do as you desire for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, everyone said Amen, amen. So this is our fourth week into Foundations, and we began this series by looking at God is, who he is, his existence. And we looked at, the, at, at just some of the many aspects of God, but we focused on his love and, and his eternal existence. We focused on his holiness, but we looked at, at, at who he is, and he is gracious That's part of who he is. He's also just, he's also merciful. There, there's all this, these things that, that God is, he is our foundation. They went to God's creation, and we looked at all that he created, and the intention of his creation was to bring revelation of himself to us, that we would see him in his creation, not worship creation, but, but look at creation and worship the creator. And remember that you were created in the image of God. Yes, we're flawed. We have, uh, there are things about us that, that need to be transformed by, by his power, but you're created in the image of God, and when you look at yourself in the mirror, it's so important that we look at ourselves as being created in his image, I wish that each one of us would see more of how we are created in His image, that we would not condemn ourselves and, be, and speak negatively to ourselves, but embrace this reality that, that we are created like Him. And then last week, we, uh, we looked at God's Word, and what an incredible thing God did. Uh, we... Uh, we had planned in the teaching meeting, Phil had an incredible message on the word of God, God's word to bring, and a part of it was for you to bring the word of God, just what God was laying on, on your heart, and that became the message. And that is, that is exactly what we wanted to speak, is that the word is our foundation, we trust the word. The word is active, it's alive, it penetrates into our innermost being, and as you came up, as so many of you came up and shared the word of God, it was going forth in power, it was penetrating into the innermost part of our being. We were speaking that which is eternal. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word lasts forever. So the word of God is foundation, is foundational to who we are at grace. And I hope that that word is becoming more and more foundational in your life and not just, in, yes, in reading it together and in, just in reading on your own and absorbing the truth in the, in the depth of the word of God. So today we're looking at God's grace. And if you, well, I know that you realize this. But you are sitting in or you're tuning in to Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. I don't know if you've thought about how many churches have the word grace in. There's literally churches that have changed their name because so many churches have that same name. Uh, There's people that show up here when they're supposed to be at Plank Road for an event and vice versa uh, because of the similarities. But it's a beautiful shared foundation of the grace of God. And grace is our foundation. So we're going to be looking at that grace today. We're going to start by looking at this uh, statement, God's grace is scandalous. God's grace is scandalous. Now often if I, was, if I would ask you for um, a description of grace, the first word you might say is amazing, and it truly is. And this is maybe, as far as I know, it's probably become a more recent description of, of, of grace, that God's grace is scandalous. And there are things that that can be challenging about that because if you look at the definitions of of scandalous and synonyms, they often have negative connotations. But I want you to to listen to this one definition that I believe helps us to see how God's grace truly is scandalous, and it's this: it says, "Causing general public outrage by a perceived offense against morality or law." I read that again: causing general public outrage by a perceived offense against morality or law now, I mean, scandalous is it's coming against what is thought to be proper what is thought to be um, be common and it and that the perception is that then this is a scandalous thing now, let me tell you that the grace of god is scandalous it comes against what is perceived for us often as what is what it should be and what is right and what is moral it, it's per, you we, it's our perception so as we look at this, as far as the, how grace is, is scandalous, let's just look to Jesus and what he did and how it was so scandalous in his day. He healed on the Sabbath. That was scandalous, and the religious leaders let him know about it. He ate with sinners, with tax collectors. He had not just conversations, but intimate interactions with those who lived horrible lifestyles. That was scandalous. He spoke parables, and so many of them were, were hard words in regards to religious leaders of that day. And those religious leaders, at least in their own eyes, and many people's lives, were the exalted ones. They were the ones that were closest to God. And Jesus was speaking hard words. That was scandalous. God's grace is scandalous. And there's so many other things uh, that, that, again, what God does and who he is and how he manifests himself comes against what, what may speak to us as, as what we would determine as common sense. We look at some other things in, the, in Scripture. We look at the prodigal son. And the older son, if you remember, so the prodigal son had taken his inheritance and he had run off with it and he wasted it while the older son was, was at home and he continued to be the good son. But when the prodigal son came home, he wasn't just forgiven, he was embraced, he was honored, he was celebrated. And to the older son, that was scandalous. And yet Jesus was saying, this is the heart of the Father. This is, this is my heart for those that have wasted and squandered their lives. This is, this is scandalous. The thief on the cross, I just read it again. We sang about it in the song, and, and I flipped through the, through the Gospels, and, and one Gospel account says that they both, both thieves on either side of Christ on the cross were mocking him. They were, they were saying negative things toward him. And yet one of the Gospels gives us presentation that before he died, he said, he said will, will you have me to come to be with you in your kingdom? And what was Jesus' response? Today you will be with me in paradise. That is scandalous. And in his dying moments, after just mocking Jesus, Jesus says, Come to me. I'm giving you life and life forever. It was shared earlier in this, in this series that Judas, the betrayer of the Son of God, in his dying moment, cried out and confessed and said forgive me that he would be received into the kingdom of god we don't know what happened in his final moment but this is scandalous grace hitler responsible for the death the torture of millions of jews and all the atrocities that he did in his last dying moment if he in that last moment after living that his entire life the way he did in that last moment if he would cry out for the mercy of god he would receive the grace of God abundantly. That is scandalous. And then there's another example that came up as we were talking. It's Jeffrey Dahmer. Now, I don't know how many are familiar. He committed crimes over more than 10 years, I believe. He was a a serial killer. He did horrible things to his victims before and after they passed. He was known as the Milwaukee Monster, he was uh, arrested, and, and I think he was charged with like 15 life sentences. Uh, incredible, horrific things. In fact, I started to look back a little bit. And I, I couldn't even read. I, I just I started to read some of the things. I, it just was so hard to deal with to read some of the things that he did. But there are numerous reports that talk about relationships with jo- Jeffrey Dahmer as he was in prison. He was only in prison a few years, and he was killed by an inmate. Um, but the the reports are that he came to a saving knowledge of, of Jesus Christ, that he confessed his sin, he was water baptized while in prison. And there are people that will look at that, and they have said that it was quoted in a couple things I looked up that if if Jeffrey Dahmer is in heaven, that's not a place where I want to be because it's so scandalous that that this person could receive redemption. But as I thought about it, I want to tell you this, that if Jeffrey Dahmer can't be in heaven, it's not a place that I want to be. Because we need grace as much as Jeffrey Dahmer. That is scandalous grace. It goes against what, it, what seems right. It's, it goes against what it would be common sense in us. But God goes past all that. And he says, no, look at me. Look at who I am. Look at what, what I do. So there are things about grace that I'm convinced we need to unlearn. There are things that we've embraced about grace that fall so short of the fullness of the grace of God. And there are things that, about grace that we have embraced in our lives that God says, wow, you've got this. This is so good. And I've got this. And, okay, my arms are too small. <laughs> But, but there's just so much that God wants us to, to grow in, in the grace of God. Um, I flashed back because um, I, I remember I came here almost 11 years ago, was, uh, but about 10 and a half years ago, the first message that I spoke here uh, was called Grace Without Measure. And I looked at the context, and I was like number six in a series all about grace, <laughs> So, we're trying to condense into one teaching the grace of God. And we can't do that. But the reality is that we preach grace every week. I want you to know that. I want you to hear it. I want you to see that the abundance of grace of the grace of God is constantly flowing to us and through us. But what we're going to do is just unpack the grace of God. We're going to start by a definition. Of God's grace. Now this is a definition I'm not saying that this is the only definition, but it's a definition that I feel captured a lot of what I believe God wants to bring to us today. And it's just, just three words: that God's grace is unmerited, unconditional favor. Unmerited, unconditional favor. So let's just look at those three words and and see what this definition is saying and how this definition is presenting the grace of God. First of all, unmerited. Unmerited means I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I can't earn it. Unmerited. It says that it is not because of. And you could put anything you want after that because of. That's not what grace is. It's not a merited, it's not something deserved, it's not something earned, it's not a because of. Secondly, we're looking at it being unconditional. That means it's unrestricted. I can't do something that would that that would eliminate the 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 possibility of grace. It's not restricted. So it's not something that, that it could say, um, you know, if this, then there's no grace. It's, that's not possible. The grace of God is being extended to us. If you're hearing my voice, if you're still breathing, it doesn't count if you hold your breath. I mean, that still counts. I mean, but, but, like, if you still have breath in your lungs, there's grace, unconditional, unrestricted. And then favor, what is favor? There are many definitions of favor, but um, a simple one that, that, uh, that I saw that I just embraced, it's, it's demonstrated delight. That it's, it's, not, it's not just somebody like feeling good toward you or having, having a good sense toward you, but it's manifested, it's shown. It's demonstrated delight. It's something tangible, and we're talking about God, something tangible that comes to us from the hand of God. So grace unmerited, unconditional favor. Do you want that? Do you need that? The answer to the second question is an absolute yes. I hope the answer to the first is yes as well. That we'd have a desire for grace, more grace. C.S. Lewis once walked into a room of professors at Oxford, and they were discussing world religions, and they had listed the commonalities, what's similar between world religions and when he walked in, they knew that he was a Christian. They said, well, what's different about Christianity than other world religions? And it was sim- his answer was simply this. It's grace. It's simple. It's grace. That other world religions are based on what we do, the works, earning. You know, it's self-effort. That is not Christianity. That is not God. God is a God of grace, and we're we're blessed with this, uh, this gift of grace that we want to embrace and that we want to walk stronger and stronger in. Think about the life of Jesus. And, th- and this is absolutely incredible because it was true when he walked this earth, and it's true this morning. That for a sinner, the, the, the safest place for a sinner to be would be in the presence of Jesus, totally exposed. I you think about that again. When Jesus was here on earth, the safest place for a sinner was in the presence of Jesus, totally exposed. It means it's not hiding, it's not covering. In fact, when we do that, we remain in darkness. When we hide our sin, when we hide our failings, when we hide our shortcomings, we remain in darkness. But when we bring those things into the light, Jesus is the light, we find grace. And you can see it time after time after time through Jesus' life, how the safest place for a sinner was totally exposed in, the pre- in his presence, and it is still true today. Don't hide from God. So many times we, we feel like we have to put a facade, even in our thinking and in our prayer, private prayers with God, he's just saying, come to me wide open, and you're going to receive grace, unmerited, unconditional favor from my hand and from my heart. And Jesus dealt with a sinful sinful woman he wasn't he he, she was washing his feet she was doing some beautiful things but yet yet it was scandalous the way he responded he forgave her he received her he he acknowledged the the incredible gift that she brought that others there did not but the thing was is that he didn't say okay her lifestyle is fine he wasn't condoning her lifestyle And so many times in our culture, we think that there's when we come face to face with sin, whether it's in our own lives or in others, we think there are only two options. I'm either going to affirm that wrong action and say it's fine, or I'm going to alienate. Those aren't the only two options. I don't have to affirm that lifestyle or that decision. Even in my own life, I don't have to simply affirm and say it's okay. And I don't need to just pull away completely and say, I want nothing to do with it. And that's, society kind of says, it's, you, you can only do one of these two things. But Jesus throws in this third possibility. Jesus lives this out and he says, I'm gonna speak the truth with grace. In fact, in John chapter one, it says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. He, in his fullness, he carries grace that, that is, brings favor and also truth that says, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. But he addresses truth in a way that leads to forgiveness, to life change. And that's the way that God is calling us to live, even as Jesus has demonstrated. So I'm going to be looking at three things this morning concerning God's grace, and they're these. God's grace saves us, God's grace sustains us, and God's grace sanctifies us. God's grace saves us, sustains us, and sanctifies us. So the first one that we're going to look at is God's grace saves us. So, it saves us. What do we need saved from? What do we need saved from? It's from our sin. And ultimately, it's from ourselves, right? Because although we're created in the image of God, we have fallen short of the mark of perfection that is required to stand before a holy God. We all have. The penalty for that, the result of that, of sin is death. So we need grace to save us. We need grace to rescue us. We can often look at grace and feel like it's a New Testament concept. But I want us to go back to the Old Testament. And and although the word grace is not used as frequently throughout the Old Testament, the the reality of grace is demonstrated throughout. Uh, First mention of grace is in Genesis chapter 6 when uh, when God, God looked on Noah with favor, with grace. Uh, in, in Exodus chapter 34, when God was bringing the revelation of who he was to Moses, he was declaring his name. He passed before, before Moses and he said, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. And he goes on and describes more of himself, but this is the way that he, he was presenting himself, defining himself to Moses as who he is the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. God has always been, we talked about this, God has always been who he is, yesterday, today, and forever. And when we see grace, we can think it's a New Testament concept, but it's, that, that's part of God's character, of his, the essence of his being, always has been and always will be. God's grace. So how do, how do we look at the wholeness of Scripture and say, okay, how does God's grace through, fit through all this? One of the passages that has been so helpful for me is to is to see the big picture in Galatians chapter three verses twenty three and twenty four. It talks about the purpose of the law and how the law was used. The law was used to bring help us to come to an understanding is that we cannot do this on our own. We can't walk a perfect life if we if we've fallen in one place. If we disobey disobeyed one part of the law, we've disobeyed it all. We've fallen short. It's like I, was, I read this this week. This week it's so cool. It's like if there's this big chasm, and like. And that like, that chasm can only be bridged by doing good, by doing right. We can all jump as far as we want. None of us are going to make it to the other side. Now, some of us, okay, like if this is the edge, might only kind of come to the edge and fall right over. Some of us might be able to get a running start and make a pretty good leap, but we're all going to fall short. And we do. Our righteousness falls short. But it's that the law that helps us to see that, so we see our need for grace. So in that passage in Galatians 3, it says that the law was a schoolmaster or a guardian to hold us, to bring us to this place so that grace could be revealed through Jesus Christ. That that we needed to realize that we cannot do this, so that we realize we need somebody who can, and that only someone that can is Jesus. God's provision through Jesus Christ. So these, uh, these two verses that we're going to look at now are very, very common. And I hope, I hope they're familiar to you. If not, make them very familiar to you. And it's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. So foundational to, uh, to God's grace saving us. And it says this, that is, for it is by grace we are saved through faith. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Let's go through that again. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So let's just unpack that. And see what it's, it's saying to us. It, it's very self-explanatory and very necessary for us to embrace the truth that, that is being presented here by the Apostle Paul. It is by grace. Grace is how we are saved. It's God's, again, his, the unmerited, unconditional favor of God is how we are saved. So it's by grace you have been saved through faith. So faith is necessary in order to, to engage. So the grace of God is constantly being poured out. But faith is then the vehicle that brings it to us and brings application to our lives. I read an illustration that it's like a water and hose. We need the water, but the hose is what helps get it, get it to us, Right. Now, the hose doesn't satisfy it. It's not founded on, on the hose, but the hose is the vehicle that brings the water to us. And the faith, our trust in the grace of God is what brings us salvation. It's saying, I'm depending on the provision of God. I'm depending on the word of God. So my faith is a part of it, and my faith is actually a gift from God. But my faith is part of it, but the, the, but the issue, the essence, that what makes salvation happen is the grace of God. So, For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. Where's the source? Not here. This is not from ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. That's part of the humility that's necessary in order for us to become believers, to become followers of Christ, to be born again, is to recognize that the the source is not us. It's not from ourselves. It's the gift of God. Now, we've already talked about Christmas coming up and gifts that are going to be given Uh, When a gift is given, the other side of it is that it needs to be received, right? That we can give a gift, but a gift can remain unopened. We can literally hand a gift to somebody, but they can set it aside. But who is it that pays for the gift? Is it the recipient? It's not. If you give a gift and expect payment, that's not a gift. It's not a loan. Okay? Okay? We're talking about a gift, so there is a price that is paid. That price is paid by the giver, not the recipient. But it's necessary for the recipient to accept, to receive that gift. It is the gift of God. It's not by works. So I want to challenge us all on this. It's not by works so that no one can boast. How about just a little bit of work? Like, it's a lot of grace, but at least I did this. You know, there's something in us that wants to take some credit or have something of us in it. And God's saying, no, 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 no. None of you, all of me. It's not of us. We can't boast. It is all of him. So this is grace. And, yeah, there's so much more to be said. We were in the teaching meeting preparing for this and And as we started talking, I don't know if you remember a number of weeks ago, I I showed a a video of Niagara Falls to represent the love of God. Like we started talking about grace among the pastors. I felt like I was sitting under Niagara Falls and all this grace was just like pouring over me because it it was just incredible the beauty of grace that overwhelms us, absolutely overwhelms us. And Jeff, he, was, he shared something, and, and, and he just gave this list. I said, did you write that down? He said, yeah, and then, then he emailed it to me. But listen to this. Knowing the grace of God allows us to be free enough to put an end, knowing the grace of God, to put an end to all human striving. Think about what grace does. All human striving, which is so exhausting. Put an end to self-defensiveness, self-protection, self-justification, self-condemnation, performing to be accepted, Grace does away with our need for all of this. It puts an end to it. Knowing God's grace will give you a confidence, not in yourself, but in Jesus and his acceptance of you that after having done everything, you will stand. Not in your strength, but in the provision of God, the gift of God, freely given to each one of us. So God's grace, do I deserve it? I don't deserve it. Can I earn it? I can't earn it. Am I worthy of it? There's a little bit of a trick question. Because Jesus gave his life for us. He says, you are worth it. But the only way we become worthy of it in order to receive it is to recognize that his worth is everything. Is to come to this place where I recognize, again, my great need that apart from him, I can't live. But through him, I have life and life to the full. That positions us in a place of worthiness when we realize we're unworthy. Isn't that odd? scandalous maybe, that our unworthiness makes us worthy of the grace of God and the humility that we turn to him. So as we said, the, the giver of the gift is the one that pays the price. And here's an acrostic, and you can analyze it theologically, and you might, uh, might challenge it a little bit, but there's a beautiful acrostic of a grace that I've heard many years ago and I've embraced and I want to share with you today. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches, the fullness of him given to us at Christ's expense. Now, it's not at Christ's expense in that he was forced to pay it. He paid the cost because he wanted to. He laid down his life, not because his life was not taken from him. He laid down his life willingly. And we're going to, in just a few moments, receive communion together. And there are elements out on the tables. But uh, if if you didn't pick up an element, you need an element, would you please, the element cups, would you please raise your hand? We have some, um, keep your hand up and ushers will make sure. We want everybody pe- to be able to receive together. Uh, so within this cup, there are both elements of the bread and of the fruit of the vine, the juice, and we're going to be partaking of this together. And as we do, we are taking into our physical bodies these elements that, that speak to, the, to what was done for us. In fact, Jesus, we're told, that and Paul tells us concerning the, the, this, this time of coming together at the Lord's table, he said that we're to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That in doing this, we are saying, we're literally pointing to the death of Christ. God's riches at Christ's expense. We're pointing to the death of Christ, and we're saying, I need you, or I have no life. It's not of me, it's of you. It's already been said that that God demonstrated his love for us in this while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. It's all him. It's all his provision. It's all his grace, his love. But as we receive through faith the grace of God, what he has offered becomes ours. It's not by receiving this cup. It's by confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And if you have done that, we invite you to this time. We have what we call open communion that's for all who are believers in Christ, whether you're affiliated with his church or not. If you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we want to eat and to drink together. If you have not, we want to invite you right now to receive the greatest gift that you could possibly have. It's not just the, the greatest gift you could receive in your life, it is the gift of life through Jesus Christ. And it really is as simple and as difficult as saying, I'm dead in my sin, I know it, and I can't rescue myself. But Jesus, you have provided the rescue, you are the rescue. So I give my life to you, not just for forgiveness, but that my life will be lived for you. That you would be the one who is in charge of my life. Let me tell you, when we take that step, and so many in this room I know already have, it gives us life, not just changes life, it gives us life. and We find life to the full more and more as we walk in this reality and in this truth of who he is and who we are in him. So we're going to receive of these elements in just a moment. And we're invited to examine ourselves, and it's not to examine ourselves so we won't take of the partake. It's to examine ourselves so we partake in the, in, with the right heart and with the right the mindset and with the right concern for one another even is what Paul was addressing So we're receiving these elements as the body of Christ, members of the body of Christ together. What I'd like to do is read. I had read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, but I want to read uh, beginning with verse 1 just before we receive. And I'm going to encourage you just to allow this word to seep seep down in you. And if you're feeling like your focus is on your disgrace, like I've done too much, like I, don't, I can't. I'm struggling with accepting this. I want to point you to, to Romans chapter five verse twenty, where it's, where Paul says this is that where where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. That if you think the quantity or the depth or the the seriousness of your sin is too much for God, know that there is more grace. You cannot sin too much for God's grace to cover it. So. I want you to to just absorb this passage, this incredible declaration of the gospel as I read, and then we're going to receive receive of these elements. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. As for you, speaking to believers, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following us desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So let's now turn to this provision of God, of himself for us. Scripture says that Jesus, when he had eaten supper, he took the bread and and he gave thanks. And then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he declared these words that this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together of the bread. Thank you, Jesus. In the same manner, after, after supper, he took the cup and he said that this. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. in remembrance of me. Let's drink of the cup together. Jesus, thank you that you gave your body, you shed your blood so that we could know you, that all of our sins, past, present, and future can be forgiven. We can be made right. We can become your dwelling place. I thank you that you live within us. I thank you that your power is sufficient for us. I thank you that your grace knows no limits. We praise you and we worship you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I know this has already been announced, but I just want to say one more time that Baptism Sunday is coming up in three weeks. What an incredible opportunity for grace to hear, to receive testimonies of grace. And we want to encourage you, if you have not been baptized, and I know there have been some questions while I was baptized as an infant, but not since I've made a decision to follow Christ, I want to invite you. Uh, it's in here, it's by immersion, which means you go under the water. It's not disgraceful, it's exciting. Um, because you're identifying with the death of Jesus Christ, when you rise up out of that water, it's symbolic of what has already happened in your life, and that you've been brought from death to life. And you're identifying with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have an opportunity to share your testimony. For those that are interested, some have already reached out. We'll be sending out information this week, but we want to encourage you to sign up out in the lobby or email uh, connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. And we want to encourage you to give testimony to the grace of God. Uh, we spur one another on to love and good deeds as we uh, give testimony uh, to his goodness. So now we're going to move in, uh, into God's grace sustains us. God's grace sustains us. And uh, another way to say this is that God's, God's grace is sufficient for us in every situation. We're going to point to a passage. I'm going to walk through these last couple pretty quickly. Uh, but we're going to look at this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And these are words of, uh, of Paul. And I want to give context. In chapter 11, um, he's dealing with people who were boastful. And we're proud, they were exalting themselves. And he kind of steps into us. He said, I'm foolish for doing this, but I'm going to boast a little bit. He said, you know, and he talks about like he was, you think about this great minister of the grace of God um, and, and where he came from, where he was, and then how he presents grace. It's absolutely amazing. So he was, you know, he declares in 1 Timothy chapter 1 that he was the chiefest of sinners. He was fighting against God, thinks, think, thinking he was for God. Then he saw God. Jesus brought revelation, and he realized who he was, received the grace of God, uh, became transformed, began teaching the grace of God, began living the grace of God, became a champion for the grace of God, and then he was trying to help people understand that it's by grace. Like, you can't be under law and grace. You can't claim that you're good enough on your own and then receive the goodness that can only come from God. So, so this is the context. He's boasting at the end of chapter 11, and he has a lot to boast about, but he said, you know what, I'm just being a fool for a little, little bit. There's a reason for this, but I'm going to list all the things I've done for God. I want to list that, that I've, I've sacrificed, I've given. I mean, I've been beaten, I've been left for dead. And then he comes into this passage and he says, I know this man, and he even talks to in the third person, he said, who 14 years ago was taking up, take, taken up to the third heaven and he saw things that he can't even express. And because of this great revelation, it brings us to this passage. The great revelation that Paul had brings us to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 7. It says, therefore, in light of all this, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, and this is, I know it's red letters, it might be a little difficult to read on the screen, but it's red letters because these are the words of Jesus to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I'm telling you what, go home and read this passage. Read it again, read it again, read it again. It's crazy when you really look at what's happening. It's scandalous. It's so upside down. It's so nonsensical to our human understanding. And yet this is God's grace pouring through his vessel through the Apostle Paul he said, you know, that that this was sent because because God showed him good things. He was given a thorn in the flesh to torment him, a messenger of Satan. Okay, how many want to see good things from God? Are you willing to say, show me, God, whatever you want, and do with me whatever you want because your ways are best? This is the grace of God at work. Sounds odd, doesn't it? This is the grace of God at work. He said, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Now, the original word for that isn't a little thistle. It's like a tent stake, okay, to torment him. We don't know what it is. There's a reason that, that God, by revelation, did not tell us what the thorn in the flesh is. A lot of people think it was a physical ailment. There's a list of what it may be. Some people think temptation. Some people think, uh, you, know, uh, you know, mental torment. We don't know what it is, and that leaves it as a blank. Fill in your blank, okay? So the thorn in the flesh was given to torment him. He prayed three times. One, God, take it away. God, take it away. God, take it away. And then the voice of God came. I don't think it was like that at all. The three times may have been three times like literally, but I believe it was seeking the face of God. God, in your mercy, would you deliver me from this thorn? Would you would you take this from me? It's more than I can bear, possibly. Again, I'm not quoting, but... But they were were significant prayers. Now, I think there's two things that, that, yeah, two. Uh, (laughs) The three prayers. One, it could be is that three sometimes means that, like, if you've done three, like, it's a whole lot. Like, it's not just three. It's kind of like forgive seven times 70, you know, that, that designates a whole lot. The other thing is I think there's a huge, huge, huge connection to Jesus praying three times. If it's possible, let this cup be removed from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. I believe that the Christ-likeness of Paul is seen here when he pleaded with the Lord three times and then the Lord gave the answer. It's like, ba-bing, you're delivered. He did say that, but not in the words that we would want to hear. He said, no, the thorn stays, but my grace is sufficient for you. Why? For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Now, whatever that thorn in the flesh may be for you, whether it's outside circumstances, physical things, whatever it may be, hear the word of Jesus to you. I'm confident that Jesus was not quoted just so that we could say, oh, it's great that Jesus talked to Paul and said this. I believe that this is a word for every believer. I'm confident of it. That God wants us all to hear, regardless of what you face now or ever will face, that my grace is sufficient for you. Hear it from the Lord. Hear the words of Jesus. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. It's when you can't that He can, it's when you're unable that He does. And it brings us to this dependency on him that gives glory and honor to him and is for our good. And Paul would say, the revelation was worth it. Even though I got a thorn, it was worth it because I'm seeing more of God, even the, the revelation. Now I'm seeing his grace manifested in my body as a result of it, in my mind, in my emotions. It's, his grace is worth it. Because what does he say? This is ridiculous and yet it's scandalous grace. What does he say? That is why for Christ's sake, I delight I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God's grace is sufficient. It was for Paul and it is for you. Hear the word of the Lord. Experience the grace of God in a way that he leads you to delight. Does that sound odd? Does it seem strange? Yes, yes. Is it God? Is it scandalous? Yes, yes. Is it a fullness of life that only he can bring? Yes. God's grace sustains us. Know that his grace is sufficient for you today and forever. Hear the word of the Lord. And finally, his grace saves us, sustains us, and sanctifies us. To be sanctified, it means to be perfected, to be made holy, to be made set apart. It's a transformation that the grace of God saves us, but we're not a finished work yet. In fact, if you're still breathing, you're, you know, you're, you're a candidate for grace re- to be a grace recipient. If you're still breathing, you need more grace, you need more growth, you need more sanctification. I'm saying you, and I'm saying me. That as long as we're here in this physical body, there's growth to happen. There's things that God wants to do in us, and it is by his grace that we are sanctified, that we're set apart, that we're changed, that we are transformed. There's so many verses we could go to here, but I want to just give you this this brief. It's a short verse, but it's 2 Peter 3.18. It just says this, this first part. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Grow in grace. What's that look like? Unmerited, unconditional favor. It's receiving that afresh today and deeper tomorrow. Unmerited, unconditional favor. That's hard to receive. It truly is. Because it goes against my sense of feeling like I need to earn. That need to do. It also, a merit. It means it goes in this in, against my sense of needing. I'm saying I'm entitled or I deserve. I don't. I don't. But to grow in being a gift receiver, that is the sanctifying work. And I want to point you to First Peter chapter chapter, First uh, Peter chapter, I'm sorry, Second Peter chapter 1, that first part, where again, it encourages us to, to add to, that God's, God's grace, his power gives us everything that we need. We need to go to him, we need to trust him, we need to receive from him and allow the wonderful things of God to be added to our life over and over and over and over and over again. So it's the, it's the receiving part, that's the sanctifying part. Guess what another part of the sanctifying is? Giving it. Give grace. Give unmerited, unconditional favor to who? Just like God to all. You realize how many times we are not gracious people. And I'm not, gonna, I'm not throwing stones. I'm just like, God's been convicting me Like as I've been preparing for this message. It's like, I'll think something or I'll start to have a certain attitude or response. It's like, where's the grace mark? It came to me as it flowing through me. Am I treating every person, every situation with the unmerited, unconditional favor of God? Freely we have received, freely we are called to give. This isn't a burden, this is freedom. Because when I am not grace-giving, I'm putting on a yoke of bondage, I'm finding less life than what God has died and resurrected to give me. This is an invitation to a freedom in living and abundant living. They can only come through the grace of God, receiving and sharing. And it gets pretty simple. Again, it's, it's like salvation. It's simple and it's so difficult. But yet there's beauty of it because as Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury, we, we desire and we do function constantly in the grace of God. Last night, it was already testimony given, but last night was, was a gift of grace and there might be some people that are here that have joined us uh, online or in person because you came here last night. I just want you to know that that wasn't a front. It wasn't a show. It was just us sharing the grace of God that we have received. There was nobody that's turned away. There's nobody that had to earn something. We received no admission. Gifts were given. The 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 time, the enjoyment. This is this is how it looks to live grace. It works. It worked last night. Do you realize there was a huge bounce house sitting like right over there in our worship center? And another one in the mini odd, another one out there, and another one over there. Cars with candy. I mean, like, this it's grace. It's giving. Not so that people feel like they have to give something back, but so that they will experience the love of God as we have experienced. It's sacrificing. It's saying there's no limits. It's all are welcome. And, it, and just so you know that it's not, again, Ephesians 2.10, it's not about, it, it doesn't bring works in. okay, all, receive grace and work. No, it's saying receive grace, and your response is to serve. You were created for this, to live in the grace of God, to show the grace of God, to grow in the grace of God. My goodness, that's why this message is called God's grace. It's all about his grace. So, uh, yeah, I, gotta, I need to stop or I'll keep going. I mean, it's, I know we have another service coming up. <laughs> Okay, I'll keep going just a little bit. Um, doesn't take much, okay. Uh, I want to read a quote from Oswald Chambers. In fact, I want to I want to encourage those two that many many have the devotional that we went through last year, New Morning Mercies. Paul David Tripp, um, I think it was yesterday's or today's. It might have been today's. Devotional was a beautiful poem about grace. How coincidental. Uh, but I want to encourage you to read it. I didn't bring it out. I have it in my office, but I want to encourage you to read that. And I want to start. Want to encourage you to start reading back because I want you to experience a little bit what I've experienced in the last week, where I see grace, grace, grace all over the place, like literally. Oswald Chambers says this: is that that he says discipleship is built entirely on the supernatural grace of God. Discipleship, becoming a a, a growing as a follower of Jesus Christ, discipleship is built entirely on the supernatural grace of God. It requires the supernatural grace of God. I need this. If I'm going to be a follower of Christ, growing and showing his love and his grace, I need supernatural grace. And he says this. He said it requires the supernatural grace of God to live 24 hours of every day as a saint. Listen to this. Going through drudgery and living in ordinary, unnoticed and ignored existence as a disciple of Jesus. I need supernatural grace for life. Because he said, he gives the example that Peter walked on water, that there's the impetuous following of Christ. He just, he walked on water, but he had a hard time following Jesus on land. Yes, and we laugh, and we do the same thing. Oh, it's like in the high moment, I can do it. But what about when you wake up in the morning? Are you starting to feel disgrace? <laughs> Don't allow the grace of God. You need supernatural grace of God to live out in this ordinary, everyday life. It is ingrained in us that we must do exceptional things for God, but we do not. Do you hear this? It's ingrained in us that we must do exceptional things for God, but we do not. We have to be exceptional in the ordinary things of life and holy on the ordinary streets among ordinary people. And this is not learned in five minutes. This is a process of growth in God's grace. Oh, I hope, I hope, I pray that you are embracing the grace of God right now in such a way that you're allowing it to to unlearn things that you've thought you've needed to do or to earn or to to be, to, to just receive the gift of God's grace. Receive. His unmerited, unconditional favor. I trust that you've allowed that grace to save you. I trust that you're allowing that grace to sustain you and to sanctify you. So we're going to end this morning in um, a grace celebration. So as I was preparing for this message, I just did a search and I came across this song, it's called I See Grace. And this song, we're gonna play it, it's a concert video, okay? So uh, you can, you're can you in a concert in these, for these next few minutes. Uh, but it's declaring, I see grace, and it's looking back in my life, and I'm seeing the grace of God. But what I want to do is, is for you to take this song and, and drop it strongly right now, not just looking back on your life to see the grace of God. You need to, I need to, because so many times our issues in life is that we're not applying the grace of God to our past. So I want to invite you in this celebration of joyful exuberant grace, to see grace, to see how, look back and see the grace of God. But I want you to see grace God na, of God now. And grace, I want us to see grace everywhere we look. Yes? Okay, we're gonna celebrate right now.